And by this we know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in in which he walked. Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated. After a one-week Kenny preaching hiatus, we return to our series in 1 John. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer, shall we? Father, we know that perseverance is a gift of your grace, but knowing you is too. Thank you that you cause us to know you through Jesus Christ and you do all the work. We thank you that it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with you. We pray that as we now feast on Jesus, we will do so by faith to your honor and glory. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So four times in the ESV, and I assume most of your other versions, the word know is found, K-N-O-W, in the four verses of our scripture lesson for today. Three times in those four verses, the word keep is found. So know and keep are very key words in today's lesson. We might argue right off the bat that knowing God in Jesus Christ and knowing ourselves as hopelessly lost sinners in Adam is absolutely necessary for our keeping any of God's commandments, whether it be the Ten Commandments or any other commandments that he gives. But keeping God's commandments may never be separated from the greatest of God's commandments, which we read about in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, at verses 29 and 30 which tells us that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is the great commandment. A subordinate one to that is love our neighbor as ourselves. At the same time, however, when we think about love, we must recognize that it doesn't stand on its own. It is the gift of faith which itself is God's inherent gift to us in regeneration of us, his elect church saints. In other words, love is dependent upon faith. On top of that, all of this rests upon our proper knowledge, our knowledge of God in Christ Jesus and of ourselves as sinners and saints in the church and the good gospel doctrine that is rooted in the church and her history. And therefore, with all this glorious purview in mind, let's make it our gospel goal this Sabbath day to sincerely love God in Jesus Christ, knowing that this confirms our faith and obedience. With this in mind, we'll be studying together today 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Now, if you wish to use the outline, we start right here. The title of the sermon is, the way we know anything. The doctrine of these verses is God's epistemology requires faith, love, and obedience. Never be intimidated by big words like epistemology. Epistemology is one of the three main branches of philosophy, metaphysics and ethics being the other two. 
And epistemology is the most basic of those branches because it deals with knowledge and how any of us can or do know anything either to be or to exist or to be true. So a philosopher first has to cover the grounds of epistemology. How do we know that something is true or not? How can we know anything? And what are the, the grounds for that? And it's a very interesting study. But knowledge of the divine being, God, who, as we will discover in the holy book itself, subsists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is only possible when three other supernatural dynamics are also operative. Therefore, it is with good reason that we say here that God's epistemology requires faith, love, and obedience. First, there is a sense in which everybody has experiences this triad. Now, why do we state this, though, with a little bit of qualification? Because of what is found in the verse that I have cited on your outline there. That's Genesis 1.27, which teaches us that when God created humanity, he made us male and female in his own image. So as beings crafted in the very image of God, even for non-regenerate, unbelieving persons, they, like us, believe in someone or something, they love someone or something, and they obey someone or something, because without those three things, there would be no knowledge or life possible whatsoever. Now, this very fact affords us something of an evangelistic hinge or hook with people that are outside of Jesus that we're seeking in love to reach with the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ by grace alone. In today's text, as in many other places, the Apostle John does not at all contest the fact that anyone can claim to know God, can make the claim. He virtually says it. It's an easy thing to do. But the Apostle does make a huge distinction or delineation between those who actually do know God aright in Jesus Christ and those others who merely claim to. Now, this teaching, however, can be challenging for us, dears, even for those of us who, by God's grace, have been able to persevere in our faith and continue in, in faithfulness in the covenant, Lord's Day to Lord's Day. It can be really challenging. And the reason that's true is because we know ourselves to be sinners. We are not perfected in ourselves. We're perfected in Jesus Christ and our justification but our day-in, day-out sanctification life, we know we're not where we need to be and where we're going. And so this becomes a bit of a challenge. But I am going to try pastorally to guide you through this framework so that you will understand yourselves better and more adequately and be able to respond to the situation with more clarity and comfort. So bear with this as we go through it. God's epistemology requires faith, love, and obedience. There is a sense in which everybody has or experiences this triad, but only the elect redeemed possess the divine dimension of it. Now, by elect redeemed, we mean those persons who have been in time and space regenerated by the Holy Spirit, sovereignly regenerated. Obviously, some of the elect have never yet been made new creatures in Christ. And that's how we always approach all persons is 
objects of evangelism. We talked about this in our Christian education a week ago, is that we don't know who the elect are. That's not our business. Our business is to live the life of Jesus in love before all people. And God will use us, in particular our love for each other in the church, John thirteen thirty five, to draw people to himself. That's how God does it. Now, for born-again Christian churchmen, God is truly known by us because God first knew us in his loving and saving grace to us in Christ Jesus. And the Apostle John makes that point later in this epistle. He just comes out and says, we love God because he first loved us. Now, our experience of faith, love, and obedience is totally supernatural, heavenly, and unique. This is not something the world can attain to. It can aspire to it, but it can never actually achieve it. That's why when we're talking with Mike here today and reminding ourselves, even our obedience, our ability to keep the covenant, which is that way in which we may be found in practical terms perfect before God, as David was in the Old Testament, by simply being faithful in the covenant, Lord's Day to Lord's Day in the faithful church, despite our many sins. It is a great and wonderful comfort. So John is teaching us in today's scripture lesson that our knowledge, especially of God, is always accompanied by some wonderful spiritual qualities and attributes, but that we do not possess them with total perfection in this life. And again, that's where it's tough. That's where the rub is for us as we do some honest self-reflection and assessment. That's also where covenant faithfulness comes in such beautifully for us in a faithful church where the Holy Spirit will, with objective criteria, assure us that indeed we are in Christ Jesus. This isn't for Lone Ranger Christians who sit at home on Sunday and do their own thing. They might be in Christ, they might not. But the assurance can only go to those who are in the outward covenant of the faithful church. Don't despond, though, as you think about these things, because we are going to discover some wonderful things that will encourage and embolden us, always, however, in Jesus alone, not in ourselves. Let's look at the verses 3 through 6, chapter 2, 1 John, and comprehend together the great gospel pattern given backwards. P-A-T-T-E-R-N, pattern. Now, the gospel pattern, and you've heard it from this pulpit numerous times, is faith, love, obedience. And we see that in today's lesson. But as per our point above, the Apostle John, and more importantly, the Blessed Holy Spirit who inspired his writing, gives these to us in reverse order in today's lesson. So let us now take a good look at the great gospel pattern given backwards first, Obedience is the acid test of the knowledge of God, verses 3 and 4. You probably saw that coming. And by this we know that we have come to know him, that's God, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, 
I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, interestingly, these words come on the heels of verses 1 and 2, thankfully, and Elder Craig wisely made reference to that, and that is the doctrine that Jesus Christ alone, his blood atonement and glorious resurrection is the sole propitiation or satisfaction, atonement, for all the sins of all the elect persons who make up all the elect church and all the entire history of the world. And that is a great and glorious fact. Now in verse 3, the Apostle John shifts gears a little bit to the application of saving faith, which is essentially obedience to God. Now, the difference between mere talkers and true believers is what I like to call willing or even happy compliance to and with God that's born out of our genuine love or affection for God through Jesus Christ because of all his grace and mercy, kindness and goodness to us. Now, throughout this short epistle of 1 John, the apostle is very taken up with the subject of truth-tellers and liars. Uh, You'll notice that. We've already encountered it, and you're going to see it a lot more. And here he says that the distinction is a matter of keeping God's commandments, and he actually says it twice in these two verses. But dear saints, if this apostle ended his letter here, if his ink ran out on, on the papyrus... Oh, this would be bad news for us. We would all be dead in the water, as the saying goes. If he just stopped here, it'd be bad. In other words, yes, we all know, not just us in the church, but all creatures made in the image of God. Everybody knows there's a God that he gives commandments, and that we're created in his image, and that we have to keep his commandments. Well, we can break them if we want, but it's only going to harm us very badly. Yes, so we all know, we all know that we're to keep God's commandments, but there's, there is a huge problem that we have, and it's at least twofold. First of all, none of us, even in the faithful church, people who are genuinely known by God, who are loved by Him, who are regenerate, None of us keep God's commandments perfectly or flawlessly. Anybody that thinks that has just broken them anyway by lying about it, because nobody does. And secondly, nobody can do this keeping of God's commandments at all who is outside of Jesus and his true covenant. That's totally impossible. People who aren't regenerate never in fact, keep any of God's commandments, except in the most formal outward ways, but that doesn't count because it's the motive of the heart that really matters. Therefore, let us thank God for the next point, verse 5a. Obedience is the acid test of the knowledge of God, but this is entirely dependent upon our love for God, verse 5a. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Bless God for verse 5a, dears. Thank God for that. And we counted our key phrase for today. Now why are we so excited about verse 5a? Because in it we behold the heart, the engine, the driving force that makes any true obedience to God at any level or degree actually possible. It's love, not just any love. It's love that comes from God. It's our love 
to God through Jesus Christ and its love for other human beings. That irresistible power of love is first for the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with all his faithful church in tow. All his faithful church in tow, no matter how flawed and sinful we still are. And then subordinate to that, love for all other fallen human beings, just like we were when we were outside of Christ, rebels and enemies of God. And all of us were. John is still, in my opinion, arguing backward here in verse 5a, in that he goes from keeping God's word to the love of God, culminating in our assured knowledge that we are, quote, in him. See, there's, here's the, the absolute truth, that nobody obeys God who doesn't love him. It just doesn't happen. No one obeys God who doesn't love him. And nobody loves God unless they are in Jesus Christ, are regenerated by his grace. And anyone may be regenerated if they want it. Simply ask God for it. Anyone may have it. And that's our responsibility to embrace Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now, the love of God in Christ Jesus is our comfort, and it blesses us from at least two angles from this particular verse. On one hand, the very fact that we want to obey God is vivid evidence, vivid evidence, that there is true love for God in us. The very fact that we want to be in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day to worship him as the church, doing the very most important basic thing that Christians do, is evidence that we love God. And on the other hand, even greater, God's love for us as redeemed church is perfect, and our God is progressively, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, and throughout the weeks, perfecting our love for him in Jesus Christ. Now, does it ever get completed perfectly in this world in terms of sanctification? No, it doesn't. But we are always making progress as we walk with the Lord week by week. Obedience is the acid test of the knowledge of God, but this is entirely dependent upon our love for God, which in turn is impossible without faith in Christ, verses 5b and 6. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, these words, though not mentioning faith, completely assume faith. To say it in a different way, true, saving, regenerative faith always wants to know two dynamics or two entities. One, it wants to know that it has assurance of God's favor, his approbation, his certificate of approval. We need to know that God receives us. We need to know that we're under no condemnation now, that we're in Christ Jesus. We need to know that our sins are totally, completely forgiven, remitted from us. We need to know we are children of God. And two, that our faith comprehends Jesus Christ in who he is and, what, and how he lived, what he is like. This is why John wrote these words, By this we may know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, and that's Christ in this context, 
ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. There's, do you, have you ever thought about this? In a certain sense, even the blessed Messiah, our glorious Redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord, had to exercise faith on the earth. Not saving faith, not faith for the remission of sins, because he never sinned. He didn't have a sin nature. His mother, Mary, had a sin nature. She had to be forgiven her sins. But Jesus Christ did not have a sin nature, because his father was God. He was not a son of Adam in that sense. He wasn't conceived with original sin. He never ever sinned. But he had to exercise faith, though not saving faith. Like us, our Lord Jesus had to have faith to believe all the promises in the Holy Scriptures concerning him. The texts like Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, just to name a couple, that clearly told him what he would undergo in his sufferings, his crucifixion, and the glories of his resurrection. But Jesus Christ himself had to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, exercise faith as well. There's the fact is that there can be no love for God devoid of faith in Jesus Christ. And that is one of the reasons we are bold to say that faith in Christ is indeed inherent in this last verse and a half of our scripture lesson for today. Now here at Redeemer, after doing the exegesis and first doing some doctrine that's tied to the text, we do some application. So let's do that now. And consider and understand how Christians may know whether we know God or not. Remember, this is a a doctrine of the knowledge or epistemology of God, the knowledge we have. How do we know God? We mentioned assurance, and that's a very important part of the Christian life. I remember in my early days that assurance was just a very, very key feature of my new life in Christ because I wasn't raised to have assurance. You were always raised to to not have assurance, to be afraid you could lose God's favor at any point. And so assurance is really a glorious blessing. But assurance involves more than anything else solid and well-grounded knowledge, not just thoughts or hopes or wishes, but actual knowledge that's grounded in the persons of the Holy Trinity and brought to us through the person of the God-man, Jesus Christ, that is also grounded in the written Word of God as well as the incarnate Word of God, Jesus Christ. The Puritans, and we, we like the Puritans, they like to say that the true Christian churchman who is very certain of God's love for him or her already in this world, in this life, experiences heaven. And I would agree with that. Assurance is something we should strive for in Christ Jesus. That's a little tough because we know we're still sinners. But this assurance is an important doctrine and one that we should continue in Jesus alone to seek. Now one very good sign of our knowing God is a concern to know the answer to this question. Do I know God or not? So when I ask the question, do you know God or not? And you want to know. That's a serious question to you. You want to know. If that's the case, then that is a very good sign. 
Unregenerate people could care less whether they know God or not. They don't care. I suppose there could be the exception of someone that God is drawing to himself and they're starting to think about the things of God. But typically, unregenerate people could care less whether they know God or not. Their whole program, like ours was, was to get away from God, this troublesome deity that tells us what to do and supposedly wrecks our fun, which is, of course, completely wrong. It's the only one that can provide us any true joy. But for us in the faithful church who are involved in this great enterprise of representing Christ on earth, we need to be cognizant or knowledge of how Christians may know whether we know God or not. First, do we pass the, love, the faith love obedience test? Now, we've got to be careful here because by passing the faith love and obedience test, I don't mean we get 100%. I don't mean we pass it perfectly. Because that's impossible. We do not pass the faith, hope, I mean love and obedience test with perfect flying colors in this life. I mean, if we were to put ourselves against that standard, we would, we would be hopeless. What I do mean is this. Is there any amount of genuine spiritual and supernatural faith, love, and obedience in us? Any amount. Any amount. Is there any amount of genuine faith, love, and obedience in us? If there is, then this is obvious proof of regeneration. Because these dynamics of faith, love, and obedience cannot exist apart from the new birth by the Holy Spirit, whereby he puts us into Christ and his true covenant and his church. So this test is not so much to discover the levels of our faith, love, and obedience as it is to find the person of Jesus Christ residing in us via the person of the Blessed Holy Trinity in us, or the Holy Spirit in us. In light of this, how do we know that Jesus is abiding in us? And this is where you might say, well, we argue circularly, and there's some truth in that. But it's not a vicious circle. It's not a hamster on a, a rotating thing. It's, we actually make progress. The answer is discerned in finding some spiritual evidence of our keeping God's commandments based in true affection for the triune deity through Jesus Christ, flowing from justifying belief in Christ, all of which is a result of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Now here's where I have some very practical pastoral comfort for you. Christians get very confused and concerned about this, but here's the deal. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll say it again. If we can be faithful in the covenant, by that I mean at the faithful church on the Lord's Day, being fed Jesus Christ, in the word, as he speaks from heaven through the pastor to you, can take the Lord's Supper with integrity, as we, Lord willing, will do next Sunday, can live in and on Jesus Christ in that most simple but most profound and supernatural miraculous way, that is evidence that you are regenerate. As a pastor over 33 years and a half and more, I've seen people who know a lot of stuff. 
but they can't take they can't take it they can't take the gospel they just can't and they leave that's why we we are reminding ourselves with Mike is that it's a miracle to be able to stay faithful and that's why you may be called to be as David again perfect in your obedience just by being covenantally faithful now, that doesn't mean you're not going to go home and get angry in a wrong way or kick the dog no don't kick dogs or, or do something else that you, you know you shouldn't be doing or all the other sins and you can name it that we all commit I, I'm not saying that that's not it I'm saying look you want some assurance this is how you have it now Christians who don't go this direction this biblical route are I don't know I mean I'm not going to condemn them maybe they weren't taught well maybe they don't understand all those things there's a lot of confusion out there but they can't have any assurance. This is the blessing of assurance. That's why you were able, so many of you, to receive absolution today. So how Christians may know whether we know God or not. Do we pass the faith, love, obedience test despite knowing ourselves to still be sinners? And this is where it gets tough. Now, dears, can we believe that we are thoroughly justified in Jesus Christ and his blood atonement, triumphant resurrection, despite knowing that we're still sinful human beings? I got word for you. If you can, that is evidence of mature faith in Christ. You know, that's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? To actually come to a point where you recognize I'm in Christ, yes I am, but boy, I don't like this sin. That kind of gives me doubts. And then you realize, no, I can overcome that because I know I'm in Christ. And here's why. The words, in Christ. You know, in another place, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, this time the Apostle Paul wrote something really interesting. And I quote, he wrote, We have this treasure in jars of clay. I've been thinking about that lately. We walk around down here as Christian sinner saints in earthen vessels, fallen bodies that are redeemed, will be resurrected, are already redeemed, but the Holy Spirit shines through all our cracks and and breaks and all the things that happen to us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, the whole reason for this struggle is to remind us that none of the power is in us. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, from above, James 1. Nothing good comes out of the ground. All goodness comes to us from God through the Holy Spirit, the preached word, the sacrament, prayer, the means of grace. The Spirit coming down upon the church and through us, jars of clay, reaching to the world. Because we are jars of clay, however, we're tempted to doubt our right standing with God in Christ alone. And I say that the key to the rectification of that problem are those three words, in Christ alone. It is in Christ alone that we have full, complete, absolute justification before God. Our justified, forgiven, redeemed status before the Lord has nothing to do with us, but has everything to do with Christ. 
What's really happening, you might say, well, what about John 2? 1 John 2, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. 1 John 2 is not so much a discussion of justification here as it is sanctification. And he is a very tender pastor, and he's going to help us through it as we go through these verses, Lord willing. He's focusing on our sanctification development into more Christ-like. So from our perspective, what's always necessary? The gospel pattern. Faith in Christ leading to love for God through Jesus Christ, leading to happy and willing compliance to obey and follow because we love this Father so much, the triune sovereign. Beloved, the way we know anything is ultimately through God. When for him, no one would know anything. The one who created us. But in Jesus Christ alone, we now fully possess the way we know God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us on our own, but you gave us the way to know you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that even though we, all of us, are very cognizant of our weaknesses, our sins, our struggles, those areas where the flesh continues to cling to us, we still are completely hopeful because our hope is not in ourselves but in Christ. We thank you and we appreciate and love you for being so gracious and kind, forgiving, merciful, and patient with us, and for developing us into more Christ-likeness. We thank you that we know you because you first knew us. We love you because you first loved us. We pray for any here who are hearing the gospel and are, are being moved by you to Jesus, that they would close with you in faith in Christ Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.